We had a great bus tour. We've uh, about 660 miles. We're in, going in day six. Uh, we've had a couple thousand people show up. They're enthusiastic. Hey, I'm John Harwood, host of CNBC's Speakeasy podcast. And that was former Vice President Joe Biden, the national frontrunner in the fight for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. We sat down in a pub in rural New Hampton, Iowa, as Biden neared the end of his week-long bus tour two months before next February's caucuses. We talked about his plans for challenging President Trump, for improving the American economy, and how he might win cooperation from Republicans if he makes it to the Oval Office. Let me ask you a little bit about how you get your program passed. You've made the argument that Trump's an aberration. If you beat him, uh, you can then bring things back to normal, implement your middle-class economic agenda uh, in the way that we've become used to. We're now in a situation where Republican senators are repeating what is known to be Russian propaganda, including propaganda about you. How do you bring that back to normal? Well, I don't hold grudges, um, for real. You've watched me a long time. And uh, I think a lot of Republicans in the Senate <clears throat> are really uh, under enormous pressure. Mm -hmm. um, when you have the Republican Party and that old joke, this ain't your father's Republican Party, saying that uh, a poll showing they think he's better than Abraham Lincoln, mm -hmm. you know something's wrong. And so I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be prepared to uh, deal with things that they know we should be talking about. But... But to the point about not your father's Republican Party, some of the things on your tax and spending agenda are things that Republicans blocked when you were the vice president. Yes. Before Trump. I agree. But now we've had Trump. There's two ways people get inspired, John. They get inspired by inspirational people like John Kennedy, mm -hmm. and they get inspired by very bad people, bad presidents like Donald Trump. And what people have now seen is that his tax policy is, has been a disaster for the middle class, disaster for them, and that there is plenty of room to be able to do things that make a lot of sense. That's why, look, I have always been of the view that the tax policy is not about punishing people. It's about giving everybody a shot, giving everybody an equal prop, uh, prospect. And so what I call for, for example, uh, there's overwhelming evidence now that the... Uh, the idea that the capital gains tax is promoting growth is mm -hmm. just not the case. And so I think, for example, we should charge people the same tax for their capital gains as their tax rate is. Um, and uh, I think we should raise the tax rate back to, for example, I take it back to where it was before mm -hmm. it was reduced. A few years ago, after the Affordable Care Act passed, I interviewed President Obama and asked him if he was concerned that we're getting divided not just by party and ideology, but also by race. And he said, no. <clears throat> People are going to see that the Affordable Care Act benefits white and black alike, and that is a way that's going to bridge that divide. It didn't happen. Do you think it will be easier for you to do that than it was for him because you're a white man? No, John, I think it did happen. Look at the 2018 election. I went into 24 states with over 65 candidates on health care. Mm -hmm. The thing about Barack was, I used to always say to him, we ought to take a victory lap on what happened in, a, in mm -hmm. Obamacare. And we said, we don't have time. Everything but locusts land on his desk. It wasn't until Republicans started taking it away that all of a sudden mm -hmm. people said, whoa, I didn't know that's where I got that mm -hmm. from. And look what we did. We won back 41 seats, mm -hmm. Republican seats. 
in purple and red areas because people see so you didn't hear any Republicans out there saying, I'm going to take away your pre-existing condition mm -hmm. coverage because they figured it out. Mm -hmm. The one thing that Trump has done, he sort of pulled the Band-Aid off and said, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is what we've done. What we've seen is a geographic divide economically. Yes. And uh, more diverse, better educated, more digitally focused cities are doing better, higher incomes. Uh, places like Chickasaw County here in Iowa are falling behind, lesser levels of education, and more and more levels of cultural resentment, which has been exactly uh, to right. the benefit of the Republican Party. What do you do about that? Well, that's also shifted, too. You know, the president said, uh, Trump said he's going to take care of the forgotten man. He got elected and immediately forgot them. Look what Chickasaw County out here now. Basically a conservative area in the past. Mm -hmm. and But now all of a sudden they're realizing his farm policy is killing them. Killing them. His failure to invest in any education is killing them. Being able to bring teachers, his, the, the attitude toward rural hospitals is killing them. But well, we've seen farmers say, I'm sticking with the president. He's on my side. He, he's giving us aid to well, compensate. But by the way, there there are there there are going to be people stick with them. But the fact, remember, we lost by uh, you know about 172,000 mm -hmm. votes. Okay, so you don't have to win back. You don't have to fundamentally change anything. But you got to let people know that all the meetings I've had, I've talked about the incredible opportunity of rural America leading America into the 21st through the 21st century mm -hmm. for real. Global warming. Agriculture is going to be the epicenter of the first, in my, I predict to you, the first area of zero, net zero carbon. Because we're going to change the way in which, because the technology is changing, where farmers can make a lot of money not just growing and selling their crop, mm -hmm. but with, with crop cover, with dealing with absorbing carbon. Let me ask you about one specific farm issue. Sure. Uh, farm exports have been hurt by yep. the trade war. Uh, he's had subsidies to compensate. If you become president, do those tariffs come off on day one? Those tariffs come off in terms of farmers, but other tariffs may go on in terms of the violation of the stealing of intellectual property, the violating WTO, WTO rules, World Trade Organization So for rules. all the people saying that the, the tariffs are creating uncertainty and harming the economy, you think some of them are justified? Well, for example, steel dumping is justified. It's justified. They've excessive steel. They dump it at a lower cost. It is, in fact, designed to drive down our steel market and our steel production. On the divide we're talking about, Sanders and Warren have made a case for uh, closing the divide with large universal programs that everybody benefits from. Given how popular Medicare and Social Security as universal programs are, why are they wrong? Well, because they, they're not being honest about how much it will cost. That's the president calling. The president <laughs> the, um, look, all, but, but all, all can decide, John. If you take a look at where the Democratic Party is and where the American people are, they're not supporting Medicare for all. First of all, it's going to take, by all, their own admission, four to ten years for it to happen, number one. It's going to cost between $30 trillion and $40 trillion over ten years. It's not realistic. It's going to raise taxes on middle-class people. It's the exact opposite thing we have to do. I have a really bold plan. I'm taking what Obamacare, adding a public option to it, meaning Medicare for people who want to buy into that, or if they're already eligible for Medicaid, they automatically get enrolled. 
I'm further subsidizing the plans that exist under Obamacare. So the largest deduction you'd have to pay for copay would be a thousand dollars in a gold plan. And you're allowed to keep your insurance if you like it. Nancy Pelosi says Medicare for all is uh, uh, not an idea that she's in favor of. But you're saying it's not a good idea even if you could pass it. Well, I think it's not a necessary idea. We it, it, Theoretically, it makes sense on the, on the merits. And, but the fact is there's no way to get it done without a phenomenal, phenomenal... Do you think it is a uh, problem economically, politically, even morally, for Democrats to be in a position of offering lots of free stuff? I think there are important things we have to offer for free for people who need basic health care, basic education, basic needs that relate to how they can live their lives. And I think for many people that has to be free. I mean, look, he's just cut back on food stamps, for God's sake, right. going into Christmas. But you've seen the objection. People say, oh, those Democrats are just promising this and that. Well, but I think here's what I've seen, John, and I've seen and the reactions with Republicans and independents as well as Democrats is there certain things that you have to you have to write the market a little bit here mm -hmm. and the market is that if you have all of all of the tax breaks essentially all the tax breaks all of the benefits flowing to the top one-tenth of one percent there's never been as great a concentration of wealth including going back to the Great Depression right ever and so one of the things that worries me most about that, John, is not just the political, the, 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 the economic impact on people who are hard. The middle class is getting killed. The middle class right now is in a position where they, more than half of them don't think the children will ever have the same standard of living they have. But this is where the, the Sanders and Warren wealth tax come in, uh, comes in. It polls pretty well. Um, critics, Republicans, also some prominent Democrats say two things about it, two objections. Uh, one, it's not workable, and two, it's punitive. Do you agree with both of those objections? Parts of the plan, some, those objections apply, but here's the deal. My view is you have to reform the entire tax code, not just have a single tax on a single group of people. Mm -hmm. For example, there is, if in fact we're able to, and I think we can get it passed, make you pay your, on capital gains, clipping coupons, your money making money, mm -hmm. the same rate you pay in your regular taxes, mm -hmm. that raised about $200 billion. Mm -hmm. If in fact you eliminate a thing called stepped up basis, which is not an inheritance tax, it's a tax of 10 seconds before the person dies and leaves the the non that, that's about $40 billion. That, that's one of the things that you guys tried and couldn't do under Obama. No, but we can now. Once you come through, the Carney show comes through with the guy with the pee in the shell, mm -hmm. three shells, and there's no pee under the shell, any one of them. Second time it comes around, they kind of figure it out. And so they know that there are a number of things that don't make any sense in the tax code. Punish the working class, the middle class, and benefit unduly people who, who in fact don't need those tax cuts. And here's the point, John. It is a political dynamic that allows the demagogues to go out and spread and split the country in two. Mm -hmm. And it's not just we need a middle class. I know it's middle class Joe and all that stuff. It's not just being fair. It's taking away the argument he's used so well. Right.
The reason why you're not having your job is not paying as much because of all those immigrants. The reason why is and so on. And we've got to end it. And there's a way to do it. It's within our wheelhouse to be able to do it. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin today uh, said that he opposed a financial transaction tax, which some uh, in the race have supported, because it would destroy financial markets. Is that why you've rejected that idea? No, I still think we should do that. That, that's, uh, that. that doesn't raise the kind of money. I think we should have a financial transaction tax. But what I focused on, what I think I can get done, get done quickly and pay for everything I'm talking about. Because, look, the president has increased with his profligate tax cut to mm -hmm. very wealthy the deficit by $1,900,000,000. Mm -hmm. It can't be sustained. It can't be sustained. But now here's what some Democrats are saying. They're saying that we've seen that politically deficits don't matter all that much. Economically, it's actually helped Trump's economy in the short term. Given the experience and that Trump uh, promised uh, a deficit neutral tax cut, didn't deliver it, hasn't, hasn't hurt it. Do you, given it. all that, would it be okay with you to increase spending more than the amount you could raise taxes to pay for it? Depends on the circumstance we find ourselves when we get elected. Mm -hmm. Look what we had to do. We, in order to be able to get out of the financial recession, which was the greatest recession short of a depression in mm -hmm. American history, the president asked me to chair the Recovery Act, which had $900 billion mm -hmm. in it. And we did it. Most even conservative economists acknowledge it probably saved us from a depression. Mm -hmm. But what we did at the same time was we were able to invest it in things that, in fact, grew the economy mm -hmm. at the same time. That's the exact opposite of what Trump has done. Right. What he has done hasn't grown the economy. Mm -hmm. It hasn't grown the economy. And so there are circumstances where you have to spend in order to generate economic growth. Right. But there has to be a way that you can catch up to that. Otherwise, you end up in a situation where you have to make terrible, terrible choices. Do you still favor the balanced budget amendment that you voted for in 1995? No, because we're in a different place now. The balanced budget amendment in the middle of what basically is going to be, we're going to maybe, I hope it's not true, but we're likely to inherit a recession, mm -hmm. at least a significant economic right. slowdown. That doesn't make sense. But I do think But that, do you think that vote was a mistake? No, not then. Mm -hmm. Everything's context. And so this is about how do we grow the economy? For example, it makes a lot of sense that we say that, okay, why is it if you give a charitable contribution, I won't say you, I mean you mm -hmm. editorially, yeah. someone in the 20% tax bracket gets to reduce, gets to withdraw, you know, take a 20% break for that. Well, somebody who is in the 40% tax bracket, they in fact get to deduct 40% of it. Well, why is that? What does that do? So I limit, for example, no tax break that you get, no, no deduction can you take that's more than, what, 28%. Another thing Obama tried to do couldn't get done. But we'll get it done. Yeah. Um, because things have changed. Right. Uh, a couple of economic uh, points quickly, because I know our time is short. Uh, Senator Warren came out today with a new uh, uh, proposal on uh, limiting mega mergers. Do you, looking back on your time in the Obama administration, do you think you guys were too slack on antitrust enforcement? I think we and, have. And that concentration among big corporations is a big economic problem? It is a big economic problem. And one of the things I've said along the way here is that what I would do as president is set up within the Justice Department 
an entire new entity to go back and look at the mega mergers that have occurred mm -hmm. and those who they, that are being proposed to occur. Whether or not it's in the telecom industry, whether it's in whatever it is, mm -hmm. there's a lot of concentration of power. Mm -hmm. And make a judgment whether or not it made sense for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that always happens from one administration to the next, even with the same party, is you go back and you look at the consequences right. of what was done. I think that we have, there's too much concentration of mm -hmm. power. And I don't disagree with Elizabeth's point generic point, how, how we go about making that judgment right. remains to be seen. I don't think you go about making a judgment by picking a particular company. I think you talk about what happens, what happened when we concentrated the power. Do you think you guys telecom. should have done more in the Obama administration? Well, I, I, I think, look, remember, everything landed on the president's plate but, but locusts. And so what we finally got to the place, all kidding aside, we finally got to the place where we got not only the the car out of the ditch and kept it from going over the cliff. Mm -hmm. We put new tires on it. We began to tune the engine. It was, it was running at 40 miles an hour. We're, we're ready to make it run faster. And, 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 and we lost, the Democrats lost the election. And so we're faced with a different problem now as to how we go back and regain the momentum that we mm -hmm. had got, that we'd gotten going. And there's, so there's a lot of things you can go back in every administration and say, well, maybe we would have done something differently. But at the moment, there wasn't much else that could be done at that time. Yeah. President Trump has been um, uh, very strong in ripping Fed Chair Powell. Uh, do you think Powell is doing a good job? And is he the kind of person you would keep or put on the Fed? I'm not going to get into the personalities, but mm -hmm. I do say this. The president should not be trying to pressure the Fed. We did not do that. That's mm -hmm. not what you are that's supposed to be, an independent entity out here. Right. And just like how he pressures the military and intervenes, intervenes in the chain of command, how he does, it's his way of abusing power across the board. It's a big mistake, a big mistake, and I would not do that. You've got an ad uh, out today that uh, uh, says the world's laughing at President Trump. Um, very strong ad uh, on the on the wake of this uh, recent NATO uh, meeting. Do you think? And the President Trump responded uh, not directly to the ad, but he said, "All we found over there was deep respect for the United States." In the meeting, do you think he actually believes that, or do you think that privately he fears that he's being mocked, ridiculed, that he's not respected? How could he not know that? How could he not know that? He, he turned around and he called the Prime Minister Canada two-faced. He turned around. The idea he doesn't know that. I mean, look, this president thinks if he says the lie long enough and often enough and repeats it enough, somehow people will believe it. Look, the reason why is, is I'm, not, I'm not happy that President of the United States got mocked. Yeah. But what it says is we lack the respect of the rest of the world that we had in spades before. Well, you here's know? the related question, then, if he does know. And the question is, does he care? And I ask for this reason. First of all, you may remember John Kerry, who endorsed you today, uh, got uh, mocked in 2004 as being too French. And, you know, a couple of the people in those videos were, were Emmanuel Macron and Justin Trudeau. Do you think, as, a, as an elite, non-elite matter, he doesn't care? I don't think it's about being elite. I think it's about being smart or not so smart. 
I think it's about being mean-spirited or not mean-spirited. It's about cuddling, coddling Russia is trying to break up Europe and NATO or sticking with our friends. Well, that's, 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 that's the that, point I was getting to, which is that another reason not to care. Those people in that video were leaders of NATO. Vladimir Putin wants NATO weakened and divided. Uh, Nancy Pelosi today, when she was announcing uh, the drafting of articles of impeachment, said uh, that, in essence, the Russia uh, 2016 scandal and the Ukraine scandal are the same, are different pieces of the same story, that all roads lead to Putin. Do you see it that way yourself? I do, in Europe, absolutely positively. Putin has had, uh, I, I, I know Putin. I've had private time with Putin. I've spent time with him, looked in his eyes, as they say. This is the guy who has one overarching desire, to break up NATO and to have America pull away from Europe, the Euro-Atlantic Alliance, because that's the one thing he cannot penetrate if it's strong. But if you have 28 nations all going their own way, he becomes significantly more powerful. And what happens? When you live next door to the bear and you don't have anybody protecting you and doesn't have that shotgun out to make sure the bear doesn't get you, then, in fact, you begin to make accommodations. And why do you think President Trump wants to help him? I don't think the president of the United States today has any notion of geopolitical concerns. I don't think he... Look, this is the guy who said, and I thought at first it was kind of a joke, but it wasn't. Remember he said seriously a couple months into his administration, you know, this job's harder than running a real estate empire. He knows nothing about foreign policy. He knows nothing about nuclear deterrent. He knows nothing. I mean, he's demonstrated, and look what's happened. You know, I actually, privately, encouraged a number of generals, senior State Department people, foreign policy experts, to stay in the administration. Don't leave. Look what's happened. But is your judgment, then, that it's ignorance, um, uh, that he doesn't understand geopolitics, as opposed to he is purposely uh, helping Russia and Putin because... He is compromised in some way? All I know is the results are the same. I can't read his mind. He has done things that seem to me to be completely contrary to reality. When he stands before the whole world at a G20 meeting and says that I believe Vladimir Putin did not interfere in our elections, and these 18 intelligence agencies that work for us, in fact, do, they think he did, but I think they're wrong. What is that about? That's the question. I don't know, but the result is the same. It has drastically weakened our standing around the world. Poll came out not long ago, Gallup and Pew, showing that we rank just below China in respect and just above Russia. What's going on? Look, when we are not leading, we've led the world by the example, not just of our power, but the power of our example. And when he, you know, I, there's three things I've learned. I've learned Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. That's why he's spending a lot of money on these bots trying to tell him lies about me. I've learned that Kim Jong-un thinks I am a rabid dog should be beaten to death with a stick and he gets a love letter from Trump. And I learned that Donald Trump doesn't want me to be the nominee. I cannot, I, this president is the most unusual politician I've ever worked with.
and he doesn't seem to have any sense of who we are. I mean, he's ripping the soul out of this country. I mean, he really is. And I, I, I just, uh, I, I, I sometimes sit back and wonder, whoa, I, I don't know whether, well, I shouldn't speculate because I don't know. Mr. Vice President, thanks so much. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode of Speakeasy. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Speakeasy was produced by M.C. Wellens and Pat Anastasi. Editing by Jeff Dills. Oh, and by the way, don't forget to rate the podcast and leave us your feedback. Is there a political figure you'd like us to interview? We'd love to hear from you, so please share your ideas in the comments. Talk soon.